1: What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, January 30, 2021. I saw an eagle this week. You will hear about it when I discuss it with my troubadour. I thought I had sent him more pictures, but I did after our segment. I think you will enjoy it. Dylan Roberts has a special place in my life, and you will find out why. Why? He's a state rep from up in Eagle in Route County. He's a prosecutor up in Eagle County. I like him. He's going to go far. He may be running against Lauren Boebert. Find out all about it. He's up next in Craig's Lawyers Lounge. After the troubadour, then comes Sid Hartha another great Colorado lawyer. Boy, does he have a lot of great clients and stories to talk about. This subject this week. What about that upcoming trial of the century against Donald J. Trump? Should it take place? Forty-five jurors senators said no. That means 12 of them need to be convinced. Can it be done? How would a good trial attorney put on the case? And how could it be defended? All this and more on a special lawyer's edition of the Craig Silverman Show. Enjoy.
2: Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge.
1: Dylan Roberts, Craig Silverman, welcome back to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge.
3: Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Craig.
1: It's my pleasure. You are a superstar, rising politician, state rep out of Eagle and Route County. You went to CU Law School. You are a prosecutor up in Eagle County. And I think you're either going to be governor or a senator or, better than anything, the guy to take out Lauren Boebert. How about that for an intro?
3: That's very kind of you. I appreciate it.
1: Let's get to the lead story. You've been mentioned as a candidate to take on Lauren Boebert, who bothers me a lot because every time they talk about her, they say Colorado. I don't like that. What about you?
3: I agree with you, Craig. She has certainly not given a good name to Colorado and, you know, Western Colorado in particular during her short time out in Washington D.C. And yeah, it's disappointing when She's associated with our state. I think, you know, I've lived in the third congressional district almost my entire life, and I know the people out here, and it's not who we are. We're not mean bullies who care only about ourselves and making ourselves more famous. You know, we like to work together, and we might have political differences, but we look for solutions. Living out here is different than living in a city. She certainly doesn't seem to want to portray that when she's uh, on the national level. So it is disappointing. It's very disappointing.
1: That's good to know because I'm a Denverite. I've never been anywhere but the Front Range College in Colorado Springs, Law School in Boulder. And of course I've visited the Western Slope and Pueblo and C D three. There's Aspen, there's Eagle, there's Vale, but then there's a lot of parts of the state that I haven't visited because they're not tourist destinations. I'm sure some of them are your constituents. And I worry that they got activated by Donald Trump and Trumpism such that a person like Bobert wins by saying, I'm more Trumpy than Donald Trump. Yeah,
3: it does appear that way. I represent communities that have been hit hard by some of the transitions that are going on in, in our society. You know, look at the town of Hayden, which is in Western Route County, which is a coal community. They have a coal-fired power plant there that employs a lot of people in the town and, and that power plant's going to retire in about seven years. And it's been hard for the town of Hayden already. And so there's communities all across our state and across our country that are going through transitions and, and people have angst about the future. And that's OK. That's natural. But Donald Trump tapped into that anger, but then never really offered solutions. And, and that's what you see with Congresswoman Boebert. She's telling people they can be angry about stuff and who to be angry at, but she's not offering any solutions at all. All she says is, you know, no, we shouldn't do this or no, we shouldn't do that, but never you know, proposes any solutions that is going to help anyone. Yeah, she's definitely she's tapped into the Trump model for sure. The Trump model of politics, which is not good for our country, I believe.
1: Right. And part of that Trump model is to get gun owners on your side. And I see this other QAnon lady, Marjorie Taylor Greene, a house rep, and it appears she came to fame by stalking David Hogg, the Parkland survivor, and giving him crap about guns and the red flag law. Then you have Lauren Boebert, who also came to fame bragging about guns, confronting Beto O'Rourke in the metro area. It seems like that's the first step. You don't need much in the way of qualifications other than, dang, I'm there for your Second Amendment and these commie bastards are trying to take it away. Isn't that the path to victory and put it in the package of a dainty woman? And that seems to be what's going on. Totally
3: fair to believe that. And I think part of that's true. I wish it weren't true. You know, there's so many more issues than just the Second Amendment. And, you know, even somebody like myself, I'm a Democrat, but I you know, believe in the Second Amendment. I, it's part of our Constitution. And, you know, I'll support gun safety measures that don't run afoul of the Second Amendment. But I'm not aware of anything being proposed right now or in the future that is going to violate the Second Amendment. You know, we need to be talking about all of the issues, not just guns. And it's kind of ironic, too, that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert preach about the Second Amendment but then they'll get upset at people who want to use other constitutional rights like the first amendment. You know, David Hogg was at the Capitol 2 years ago to talk to senators, talk to con- members of Congress about what he believed in and what he wanted Congress to do, you know, using his first amendment rights, but Marjorie Taylor Greene wanted to get in the way of that and was harassing him to be honest as he walked through Washington DC having meetings. So, second amendment is okay to believe in and to stand up for, but you know, people have other rights as well that we need to hold just as high.
1: Right. And you have to consider the context. And I know you do, Dylan. You're still working as an active prosecutor. Am I right?
3: That's right. When we're not in session at the Capitol, I work as a deputy DA in Eagle County.
1: How long have you been doing that now? Just over about four and a half years now. Oh, that's when you're at the peak of your powers. And one thing that I'm sure is emphasized, and I was in at the dawn of victims' rights, but when somebody suffers a violent crime, we are protective of those people. They should not be bothered, harassed. And isn't that what makes it more horrific? David Hagen, when Boebert saw fit to attack Beto O'Rourke, he was reeling from that massacre in his native El Paso. So, I mean, the timing, too, as a prosecutor, doesn't that just show you a lack of dignity and respect?
3: It absolutely does. I feel for somebody like David Hogg, who experienced trauma that not many people can imagine. Unfortunately, too many school kids experience it these days, but it's significant trauma. He's a victim. He's a victim of gun violence. And he went to try to turn his trauma into good by advocating for changes in the law in Congress is a powerful thing, and it should be respected. And you don't have to agree with David Hogg on everything. And I don't, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert, they're never going to agree with him on that. But you can't harass him for his beliefs. That is simply unacceptable. And, you know, that's why I became a prosecutor. I'm sure that's why you became a prosecutor, Craig, is because you want to get justice for victims and you want to stand up for victims and make sure that they can be as made whole as possible or at least have their day in the justice system, and this wasn't a courtroom setting at all, but it certainly was a future congresswoman stepping on somebody's right to petition their members of Congress, and it's baffling. And then Lauren Boebert went after David Hogg on Twitter just a few nights ago. It's just sad. I mean, she's an elected member of Congress, and she is using her time to attack a young adult on Twitter because of what he believes in.
1: Now, in fairness, I think Hogg brought up Boebert first, but he's into gun safety and he doesn't like that Boebert, before January 6th, put out a famous video about how she's going to be packing in the Capitol. And then, boom, a few days later, What did you think about that video? I believe you. I know you're for Second Amendment rights. You grew up in a steamboat and you understand why it's important for different parts of the country, especially. But what did you think about that video and the way she presented herself so soon after taking the oath?
3: It was clearly political. I mean, I saw that as a campaign ad. And when she posted the video, she linked her fundraising page with it. So I think Congresswoman Boebert is clearly showing that she will do whatever it takes to get attention and to raise money for herself. Guns are a a hot issue and and she'll use that to to get attention. And I think she's of the mindset that any press is good press and, you know, any attention is good attention. And so it's her right to carry where she's allowed to conceal carry, but to glorify it in such a way and, and use her platform for that. I think it's silly, to be honest. You know, I I wish she would actually take her job seriously and get to work for the people of her district instead of just promoting herself and trying to raise money.
1: All right. I'm going to keep pestering you about whether you're going right. to take her out. But let me make the case as the former prosecutor that I am. I only did it for 16 years, but I know certain clues. And part of it is I have to keep sharp for these podcasts and to write my regular column as columnist at large for the Colorado Sun. And I've been mentioning Bobert, and I think it was January 3rd when she tweeted. And I wrote in my column that she and Trump were in a competition to see what's going to get kicked off first. And both were tweeting regularly and almost always with a hint of violence, which they don't like on Twitter, And she, on January 3rd, said, I just met with the president. I think they had a picture together. And she said, y'all ready for January 6th? And I noted it in my column. And then she posted on Twitter the morning of January 6th, first insurrection I've ever witnessed in America. She wrote, today is 1776. Now, old trial lawyer that I am, Dylan, I'm thinking... She was expecting something like this. And even as we speak on Friday afternoon, the New York Times has just come out with a big article about Bobert and other politicians, elected officials who have these associations with these white supremacist groups. In Bobert's case, the three percenters, we've seen the pictures of all those guys at her Shooter's Grill. And they end that piece with a reference to her putting out today is 1776. Now, what the hell did she mean by that, Dylan Roberts? Can I make a closing argument just around that phrase? What are the innocuous explanations for her tweeting today is 1776?
3: well the innocuous explanations may be that she is in over her head and and doesn't even really understand what that means i think that's you know 1776 from what i have read and and can tell is a popular phrase in right-wing media and on some of these fringe websites but you know as a prosecutor if you're trying to build a case you mentioned it there's several tweets where both her and the president mentioned january 6th as a pivotal day and a big day and see you in Washington on January 6th. It's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. And there was an element of planning and expectation that that day was going to hold something more than just any other day, and certainly more than what's usually a very perfunctory performance of counting the electoral votes.
1: I was sort of involved with that whole situation where you had to expel a member from the legislature and Alec Garnett, who was a great guest on my show a few weeks ago. I don't know if you caught that one. The Garnett's father and son were on, but you and him are going to be involved in Colorado politics for a long time. And that gives me great feelings of hope because both of you are bright and you put together that legalized sports wagering that works like a charm. Love that. But let's let's stay on topic because Alec Garnett, back in the days when you, got rid of Steve Lebsack and it got to the point where Alec Garnett was wearing a bulletproof vest and he talked about that. And now it appears that's part of being a congressperson or a legislator. And it's just it's terrible that it's come to that. What's going on?
3: I wish I had a good answer for that. I think President Trump has made our country get into a place where politics has become such a grudge match and such a blood sport where there's no There's no middle ground. You're either on this side or you're on that side, and apparently that will resort to violence. I think we have a long ways to go and a lot of work to do to repair, to get us back to a place where politics isn't so partisan, where people literally are fighting each other over things. You know, I'm under no illusion that politics has never been this partisan, but... I think we're in a new era where violence is, is being threatened or, and sometimes used, as we saw on January 6th, in our politics. And you brought up the Representative Levstock expulsion. That was my second month in the legislature when that all uh, went down. And it was, it was chilling to hear now Speaker Garnett talk about how he had to wear a bulletproof vest on the House floor. And that's not why I think a lot of people get into public service. And we need to reevaluate the work that we do and, and what's important and what's not important.
1: Right. But what was cool about that, in retrospect, and I spent a lot of time with Steve Lebsack, he talked to me on air, and it was an interesting situation, but it was the Democrats policing their own, which is what we're asking the Republicans to do with regard to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boeburn. So you guys did it. That had to be rough.
3: You're right. I mean, I didn't know Representative Lebsock for a very long time. I was a brand new member of the legislature when he got expelled. But he, from what I can tell, had good friendships with people in our caucus for many years, and he was a productive member of the caucus. But based on his behavior, our caucus decided to put our partisan affiliation aside and and look at what was best for the institution of the legislature. And that happened in Washington, D.C. a couple weeks ago when 10 Republican members of Congress voted to impeach. President Trump, because they considered the evidence and put their partisan affiliation aside and made a vote the way that they thought they needed to. So, you know, we need more of that. We need to have respect for the institutions in which we serve and, and make sure that we're doing the very best we can to uphold the traditions of those institutions.
1: God bless those 10 Republicans, starting with Liz Cheney. But my God, Dylan, only 10 Republicans. Isn't that unbelievably sad. And now to see Kevin McCarthy go down on hands and knees to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring of Donald Trump, we've got problems. And I don't see the Republicans breaking away. What about in Colorado? What are you seeing? The legislative session has started, albeit you haven't gotten together that much. There's new leadership. Tell us what you think of the modern GOP.
3: It's funny because the people that you know when you serve in a legislative body like that, off the record, you know, I have really good friends across the aisle who in private conversations, you know, are, are reasonable and you can tell they the issues and they, they want to get things done. But as soon as they need to take a vote on the record or appear in public with somebody from the other party, a lot of them will balk at that because they're so worried about the political fallout from that. I think that's more true in washington dc than it is here in colorado but it's still true here in colorado which is unfortunate and and i don't think the democrats are not guilty of that as well but i do think there are members of our caucus who are more willing to reach across the aisle than the other way around and it's too bad because i think at that impeachment vote in washington dc if it were a secret ballot you would have had way more than 10 members of congress voting to impeach but you know i was reading that some of them were getting death threats from back home if they voted to impeach the president and and that may have been the reason why they decided not to. So it's really disappointing, uh, you know, kind of shocking that we are where we are.
1: They confided in Jason Crow, who spoke about the fear that a lot of Republicans were feeling. And you talk about private conversations. I can tell you what I think's happened. Talk radio, Trump, all the media outlets, the Lauren Boberts of the world, they've gotten all stirred up. And now they're a little out of control. It's like a wildfire, and the Republicans can't control it. So they just have to move the way of the wildfire that they created. And I don't know if it's going to consume all of us. I hope not. But part of it to me is going to court. And I believe truth comes out in courtrooms, don't you, having worked in the system?
3: Yes, I believe that wholeheartedly. And you got to believe that. I think we have the best justice system in the world. We, we certainly have things to improve on. But there's nothing like the modern jury trial that helps bring out the truth.
1: And as divided as we are, as prosecutors, we have to go into these felony trials and convince 12 people in order to get a conviction. Do You'd think, oh, my God, anywhere in America, how are you going to convince 12 people of the same thing? Does it still work that way? Or you don't know because of COVID?
3: We were talking about this yesterday. We have a huge backlog of jury trials in our state right now because of COVID. But we were able to, to get some trials done over the summer and the fall last year with partitions and social distancing and all of that. And you know, the jury system is still working, albeit slower than normal. And that's a good thing. And we need to do what we can to get our courtrooms back open so that victims can have their day in court and defendants can have their right to a trial.
1: All right. I'm ready to commit to support you against Lauren Boebert. Are you willing to announce right now?
3: I'm not ready to announce right now, Craig, but I appreciate your support. I'm having a lot of really great conversations across the district. The district is gigantic, as you know, stretches from Pueblo in the San Luis Valley down south over to Durango and then all the way up through Montrose, Grand Junction. Northfield County and all the way to the Wyoming border in Steamboat and Craig. So, you know, I I have a lot more work to do and more conversations to have before I decide fully to do it. I know there's also a lot of other really good candidates who are considering running, and I'm talking to them as well. It's going to be a hard race, and I think we need to do everything we can to pick the right candidate and prepare for the general election because Congresswoman Boebert has a following, and she's going to have a lot of money. And resources, but I think it's imperative that we do what we can to get a new member of Congress for that district. So, not quite ready to announce, but I am definitely having some good conversations and hope to make a decision either way in the next month or so.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Sounds like you are very interested. I think you should call on all your CU Law School connections. I know some guys down in Pueblo and Durango, and she's going to have her GED crew. Oh, I'm sorry, we're not supposed to talk about her lack of education, but I will because the things she says are stupid. They're ignorant. They're a poor reflection on Colorado. I want somebody with brains and accomplishment. It doesn't mean you have to go to CU Law School to get that. But the things she's doing are just way wrong. And I don't think she's going to represent the people in the third CD the way that a guy like Dylan would. So enough of that. But I want to analyze the Trump trial I'm an old trial lawyer, and boy, I'm not getting my fill with COVID disrupting the courts, the civil and the criminal courts. But I'm looking forward to analyzing a big trial. I once went up to Eagle to analyze the trial of the late Kobe Bryant. Never went to trial, but I was there for some motions hearings that were interesting. But I think we might have a trial of the century coming up. But I've thought this before, only to have sort of a dud. I thought Adam Schiff and his crew were magnificent at the last impeachment trial, but no witnesses were allowed to be called. First of all, do you think this trial needs to move forward, Dylan Roberts?
3: Yes. Simple word. Yes, it it should. First of all, the House of Representatives sent an article of impeachment to the Senate. So I think by virtue of the Constitution that a trial should occur because the House decided to impeach. And I'm sure there's going to be objections about why are we doing this because he's out of office now. But I think constitutionally, the trial absolutely should move forward.
1: What about 45 senators going on record that they think it's unconstitutional to proceed? Isn't that a harbinger of wasting your time?
3: Well, I'm under no illusion that those 45 senators are going to change their mind. But I think the country deserves to hear all of the evidence and have that put in front of their U.S. senators and have them make a decision after they've heard all of the evidence. So I'm not holding my breath that they're going to change their minds. But I think because of what happened on January 6th and how incredibly unique and dangerous that was, the country deserves to have their U.S. senators sit through a trial.
1: I totally agree. I'm kind of playing a devil's advocate. And when you think about it, five of them seem like they're ready to vote for conviction. That's five Republicans. You need 17. You know what that magic number is? The one that you and I deal with in our careers. 12. You got to get to 12 people who are supposed to presume the defendant innocent. And I think if you make just the right presentation, it's possible. You know, when I did a death penalty case in Denver, they said you can't get a death penalty in Denver. There it's Pat Schroederville. People are too liberal. And I said, I think I've got the case to do it. And we did, and thanks to you and your buddies killing the death penalty in Colorado, that's going to be the only Denver death verdict that's achieved in modern times. So I make the point that you never know until you put on the case. So, how would you do it, Dylan? How could you convince those twelve people that they should vote for a conviction?
3: Well, it's a tall task. I'll, I'll acknowledge that. I mean, and these are these twelve people that we're trying to convince are not citizens from the general population. You know, these are U.S. senators that have political interests at mind as well as the evidence before them. But if you are and we have two of our members of congress who are impeachment managers and are probably working through as we speak right now all of the evidence and compiling the best case they can congressman goose and congresswoman deget you know i think you were going to look at those tweets we were just talking about that date back to election day where donald trump was sowing the seeds of discontent and and bringing up completely untrue claims about voter fraud and the election being rigged and this being stolen from him and clearly working his wing of the party and his supporters into a frenzy that culminated on January 6th. And there's some pretty damning video from January 6th where what Trump said at that rally he held down the road from the Capitol was being repeated by the rioters as they broke through the barriers and into the Capitol building. You can draw, in my opinion, as a prosecutor and as an American citizen, you can draw a pretty straight line through all of that that proves that Donald Trump helped incite insurrection at our nation's capital.
1: Who would your first witness be? Well, I'm hopeful that
3: there are going to be witnesses. You could. And I'm not sure if he would be there, but I think you called Vice President Mike
1: Pence. Mm. And why not subpoena the dude? He has no right to say no.
3: And I imagine he wants to tell a lot of stories from his time as the president's vice president. But they were coming for him. They were chanting his name that they wanted to kill the vice president of the United States. And he was there in the House chamber and in the Senate chamber doing his constitutional duty as vice president. And they wanted to overthrow him and and hurt him because of that. Not sure what legal protections he might throw up to refuse a subpoena. But, you know, I think, you know, he was the number one target of the insurrection, followed by Speaker Pelosi.
1: What about calling a hostile witness to start? Why not call Donald J. Trump? Can you?
3: That's a great question, Craig. We need to look into that. I wonder if you could. I don't think he would show up, but you know, I think there might be some people within the former president's administration or some people who were organizers of that rally that may be um, useful, hostile witnesses to the impeachment managers.
1: I've been thinking if I was a prosecutor and had the power to charge Donald Trump, I would. I would have arrested him shortly after the incident and on the theory of complicity, held him accountable for everything. Inciting a riot is never a charge that I pursued, but I did prosecute people for soliciting a crime. I don't know. Have you ever done that?
3: I have not. I've had solicitation cases soliciting a crime, but I have not brought one to trial.
1: It's interesting because part of it is you get a chance to abandon it or call it off, and you get judged on your behavior during the commission of the crime. And look at Donald Trump. Why don't you call Ben Sass and say, Hey, you've reported that you've talked to people who said the president was enjoying what was happening. Tell us about it. Wouldn't Ben Sass be a witness? And isn't he a juror, too? gosh, this gets confusing, doesn't
3: it? It does. It's it's not the trials that that we're used to and and that people are used to sitting through as jurors. But yeah, Ben Sasser, or maybe, you know, you can find the actual people who were in the room with the president while the insurrection was occurring. You know, if that is true, and I don't know if it's true, it, it certainly is hearsay at this point, but if that is true that the president was looking at the images on TV and enjoying it, that is damning evidence.
1: Here's one way I've thought of to tackle this monster and I used it to great effect to convict the Capitol Hill rapist. Rather than start with one of our six victims, I put on his alibi witness, who was his sister, who had supposedly unbreakable, unshakable alibis. And she fell apart, and the jury started to realize which side of the case was going to tell them the truth. Why not have a Colorado connection to start with? Call Joe Oltman from Penn Business and Conservative Daily Podcast. Aren't you the guy who started the big lie, the lie out of Colorado, which was the root of the big lie that the election was rigged? Because that's what got everybody riled up. You're talking about Trump's tweets, etc. cetera. Even before the election, he was just prepping the big lie. And they needed to blame somebody plausibly who could affect elections in a lot of swing states. That's why I think they focused on dominion, found somebody, Eric Coomer, who had some social media postings that were not complimentary of Donald Trump, like about 80% of my feeds. So they took him and they turned him into Antifa. And Joe Altman went on his podcast and said it. Then he went to Randy Corcoran's Rapo County Tea Party that night and said that. Next thing you know, he's on KNUS with Corporan and he's on Newsmax with Malkin. And the Trumps are saying, whoa, Joe Altman infiltrated an Antifa call and Dr. Eric Coomer in Colorado fixed the election. And soon Donald Trump was tweeting about it. And even to this day, you hear this pony crap about Dominion don't you think I'm onto something? And if you break down this big lie by showing it's made up roots, there was no Antifa call infiltrated.
3: I think you're onto something, Craig. It sounds like you should write a book. Or, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i sure there's going to be lots of...
1: I'm saying it to you because I know that Jonah Goose and, and Diana yeah. DeGette will take your yeah. call. You know what I mean? Just show how this is bullshit built on bullshit. And I can say that because one... Donald Trump always said bullshit, and he's the master of it. And it's a podcast, so we can talk candidly. Yes. What else would you do? I think I could persuade 12 people if they really gave me their attention. How about you?
3: I think you could, Craig. Of course, this is, as I mentioned, so different from a normal trial in that the jurors have political consequences to weigh with their vote. But in everything you just talked about, where you can trace so many different conspiracies through one another, and then they show themselves in the president's tweets and in the president's public statements, that's what's been really unfortunate about President Trump's term in office for me is that information and facts became negotiable. And conspiracy theories have always been around in our country, I think, but they were working them, their way all the way up into the White House and rather focusing on issues that people actually care about. It was just a lot of distraction and a lot of anger. And it's, you know, evidence itself in people like Lauren Boebert getting elected or Marjorie Taylor Greene getting elected. And then obviously the insurrection on January 6th. What the impeachment is about, though, which I think we need to keep our focus on, is about do we convict Donald Trump for his behavior leading up to and on January 6th, not so that he goes to jail or faces any criminal penalty, but so that he cannot run for office again. I think what we've gone through the last four years has been terribly damaging to our country. I can't imagine what a second Donald Trump presidency would be like. And I think the Republican senators agree. If you got to talk to them candidly, like we were talking about, they would agree that that was not good for our country. We'll elect other Republican presidents, I'm sure, and that's okay. But Donald Trump himself, I think, showed that he was unfit for the office and caused a lot of chaos in this country. And so that's what the impeachment is about. I mean, I think that's what needs to come through in, in the impeachment manager's argument.
1: Right. They need to prove the plot and that the plot emanated out of the White House. And Joe Altman I don't know how or why he made it up. Maybe he made it up on his own. He's getting sued by Eric Coomer. Dominion is suing everybody. I think the truth will come out, but it's got to come out soon. Plea bargains are probably being talked about. The participants interviewed, etc. I'm not looking for Trump. I just want him to be discredited so we don't have to keep dealing with this in my lifetime, in my children's lifetime. I just think that the organization of the Proud Boys, the three percenters, the oath keepers, you know, that's the sad thing, Dylan. I'm sure you've thought about it because they target law enforcement people that you and I have worked with for years and military members. It's a terrible group. And the number of military who got involved in this insurrection, what would you say? I wrote a Colorado Sun column saying, look, guys, your affection for Donald Trump is misplaced. Back in the day, and you work with cops now more than I do, it didn't matter the party affiliation of somebody. Did it meet the elements of the crime? Was there an insurrection? Did this man incite it? Answer those questions, and it shouldn't matter whether you voted for him or not, right?
3: it shouldn't i don't think it should either that's the question before them is did you know did he incite an insurrection and you brought it up people died on that day because of this including law enforcement officers who deserve our utmost respect and literally put their life on the line to try and protect the capital. And some of them lost their lives and, and some of them are committing suicide now because they feel so badly about what happened. It's just it's heartbreaking. Our men and women in law enforcement, for the most part, are honorable people who care about their community and care about their state and their country. And, you know, for the party that preaches law and order so much, it, it's disappointing because they're not standing up for law enforcement.
1: I think you have to pitch it to them that way. About law and order. I mean, they got attacked in their own house. The shooting of Ashley Babbitt. Wow. Did you see that? Did you see how fervently that 14 year veteran of the Air Force believed in QAnon? It's frightening, wasn't it?
3: It's very frightening. What it's making people do is sad and it's very frightening. It's having deadly consequences, obviously. And, you know, for people, who served in our armed forces i mean they are uh, deserve our honor and our respect but it's the understanding that they do it because they love our country and and then they believe in things that are harmful to our country it's it's hard to to square that so sad to see people lose their life no matter what they believe in but it's really sad when you realize they got in that position in the first place.
1: You've had a lot of great answers, but the reason for the divisiveness in America, you said you weren't sure, but then you went to Donald Trump and that's a hundred percent right. I've lived a lot longer than you. Donald Trump has stirred up everything to the point where I don't know if we can get it back together unless he's held accountable for what he did. And I hope for new revelations. That's for sure. I'm worried about the Republican Party. And has anybody in Colorado in Republican circles spoken out against Boebert or QAnon other than Russ George, who's a retired guy?
3: When you read some of the articles that quote Republican officials or you know, Republican strategists or what have you, it's a lot of similar quotes about let's let's give her time. She's still learning. She'll find her way. I understand why they're saying that You know, she has only been a congresswoman for for about a month even less than that but her track record so far is not giving me faith that that she's gonna you know grow into the job that she's very clearly there for one purpose is to you know make herself more famous i hope that they will you know they, they certainly are saying it to me off the record i'll tell you that but i think we need more people to say it publicly and maybe do their best to not like ask her to resign or anything but Focus on the issues. We have some big problems out here in C D three and we need a member of Congress who focuses on the issues. You know, I I had a lot of disagreements with Scott Tipton on policy matters, but one thing I always could count on him and his office is that they would help constituents when they had a problem. You know, they would contact me sometimes and then I would realize it was a federal issue and I had no qualms about sending them to Representative Tipton's office because I know that they would help them out. I can't do that to Congresswoman Boebert's office. I can have no confidence that my constituents will get the help that they need if I sent them to her office. I don't even know if she has offices open. Her staff certainly hasn't reached out to me to let me know how to do that. So, yeah, it's, it's really too bad. We need we need better.
1: Is there a Republican who might take her on again? What about Scott Tipton? Can he dust himself up? I thought he was a good man. I've spoken to him many times. Will she have a challenger in a Republican primary?
3: It's hard to prognosticate, especially for the Republican Party, but I would not be shocked. I've definitely heard some rumors that there are maybe not even moderate Republicans, but issue-focused Republicans that will be primarying her. I think she's put herself out there as a certain type of congresswoman, and, and there's a lot of people in all parties that are not happy about it.
1: Well, you are the best choice for the Dems. You ran unopposed. How is that possible? Do Dems outnumber Republicans that much in Eagle and Route County?
3: I don't know how that happened. I feel very lucky, I guess, that I ran unopposed last election. My first election, I did have an opponent both in the primary and in the in the general election. And so it's not a, a surefire Democratic district. But I worked hard in my first two years, and I want to say that my constituent services and, and my track record at the Capitol meant that people were just okay with me continuing. But there were a lot of different, you know, COVID certainly disrupted some candidate recruitment and and things like that. But, you know, I I don't take it likely or take it for granted. I'm sure if I ran in another election for any seat that I would have an opponent. So that doesn't happen very often. I'm not quite sure how it happened.
1: I think your background as prosecutor is wonderful. And part of it is that you've taken on tough cases and there's An element of risk to it. And now let's face it, you've taken on Boebert in CD3, even serving as a legislator anymore. There's a hint of danger to it. What's your attitude about that?
3: You know, to some extent, I don't think people are paying so close attention to what individual state legislators are doing. So I don't feel personally unsafe. But public service, I suppose, comes with some risks these days. I knew that signing up to be a prosecutor. I mean, we've known a tragic case here in Colorado where a young prosecutor became a victim just because of his job. And, you know, I suppose that's the case being an elected official as well. But if you want to serve your community and you want to try and get things done for our state and our country, it's unfortunately a risk you have to think about, but you just have to focus on the goal and the reason you did it and hope that none of that becomes a reality. But it did become a reality for our federal members of Congress on January 6th, which is still very shocking.
1: I know it. And let's hope justice gets done. And I think it will. The truth will come out if court cases are allowed to proceed. And I hope they will. The truth has come out about sports wagering. I mentioned it before, but You've tweeted about it. Tell everybody how successful in filling Colorado coffers your legislation worked out to be.
3: So it's been very successful this past year, the first year of legalized sports wagering in Colorado. We passed a bill in the 2019 legislative session that put that question on the ballot. That bill was led by Speaker Garnett Senator Kerry Donovan in the Senate, and what's great about that is even if you don't believe in or support gambling, you have to acknowledge that people are doing it anyway. People have been betting on sports for a long time. Giving them the avenue to do it legally in Colorado allows us to tax it, and that tax revenue, because the voters approved it, is going to Colorado water projects, which is a huge issue in our state, but especially out here on the western slope, because our water supplies with drought and climate change and demand are going down and we need to do everything we can to preserve the water we have here in Colorado. And there hasn't been a dedicated source of funding for Colorado water projects before, but now there is. And because people are really enjoying their ability to bet on sports, I hope they didn't lose too much money on the Broncos this year, but it was very successful in the first year and we've gotten, I think, more money than people expected for Colorado water. So I'm very pleased and excited about the future of that.
1: Just because you're a Bronco fan doesn't mean you have to risk your money on their behalf. Sometimes you have to evaluate it more dispassionately. And especially during COVID with people confined to boredom, otherwise, it's exciting. I suppose you could be playing GameStop and gambling on the market, but I like to bet on my nuggets or my Broncos. And can you talk about it? Do you do it too? Can state legislators partake?
3: Uh, partake in a few wagers. I, I have one of the apps on, on my phone and made a little bit of money on some Buffs games this year. I lost some money on some Broncos and some Rockies games. You know, I'm, I'm not... Wagering any kind of serious money. We, we get a, a very modest salary as state legislators, but it's been very popular. And, and people, were, I think, were a little bored because you see, some of the top sports that were being bet on early on were things like Russian table tennis, because that was the only thing going on back in April and May of the beginning of the pandemic. So
1: you don't have to tell me. I studied those table tennis.
2: <laughs>
1: I never understood it. But, and just to pronounce the names are almost impossible. But, Now, sports are my entertainment. God knows I watch enough news. But I want to thank you for that. And you only have one app. Maybe you'll get two. Maybe you'll have seven like me. The beauty of your system is it's so competitive. And PointsBet, which is located in Colorado, here's a tip for my listeners, the nickel line, only 5% vigorous. So why wouldn't you bet there instead of somewhere else? Because you get better odds.
3: Yeah, uh, kudos to the the bill drafters and the bill sponsors on that. We set up a very competitive market. And Colorado, I think, is one of the the leaders in the whole country at, at how to do this. So, yeah, it's encouraging.
1: I thought you guys were a bunch of communist socialists. What's up with that? Competition? Capitalism? Wow.
3: I'm a capitalist. I'll admit that publicly. I certainly believe in, in capitalism and you know that's the way to do it. I'm trying to do that in, in healthcare as well. And down at the Capitol, a lot of things get done on a bipartisan basis. It's only the flashy partisan fights that make the newspaper. But for the most part, we're a very bipartisan legislature, even still. you know That's why I like working there.
1: Well, we love having you on. And I used to have you on the radio, talk radio. In my mind, it also got ruined by... Donald Trump. And now the more Trumpy you are, that's the only way to survive on Denver Trump radio. It's sad. Is it different up there in Eagle and Route County? Do you have different talk radio choices or is it all Rush Limbaugh, Hannity and that conservative bullcrap?
3: Talk radio in my area is is mostly those national shows that you just mentioned, the conservative ones. We, you know, we still get a lot, most Denver radio in Eagle County. You know, I, I scan the dial. When I was coming to Denver, I would tune into, you know, your former station because I think it's good to listen to different perspectives. And now when I go down to Denver and tune into that station, it is very extreme.
1: It's tough for me to listen to. And the thing that's changed is Corcoran, who has my old time slot, and that's another thing. You and I are forever linked by the circumstances of my departure. We have to talk about that. But back to Corcoran, he's the guy who put Oltman out there from day one. He's a Republican committee man going back and forth to the East Coast to meet with Team Trump. He was a delegate to the RNC on behalf of Trump. And this guy is capable of making stuff up, like this Antifa call. He said... He prepared the Altman affidavit that was submitted to Sidney Powell. There's a real winner, along with Lynn Wood. So again, the roots flow from there. And from what I understand, I don't listen like I used to. But Peter Boyles, the morning host, has realized that Corcoran was a big part of the big lie, and he's going to get his ass sued by Dominion. And so he's trying to swim backwards, even though he featured Altman a couple of times in early December without any real pushback. Now, wouldn't you as prosecutor or trial attorney have said, whoa, you said you infiltrated an Antifa cult? Tell me more about that. How do you do that? You know, and how do you identify yourself? Tell us about that. And isn't it something that these guys who are experts about how masks really aren't necessary, the anti-maskers who meet a band of they are the authorities on ballot rigging and voting systems it's It's amazing what these Trumpists can do, isn't it?
3: It is you know, I think we saw that when you talk about ballot rigging and and you know thinking that they're the experts when the the legislative audit committee met last month to conduct a quote unquote investigation into What was going on in Colorado and they you know trotted out some of the names you just mentioned or at least some of the people connected to those folks to assert that there was ballot fraud in Colorado even though independent and even partisan election experts on both sides say that Colorado is one of the safest systems that there is and they allege ballot fraud but they never back it up with facts and i think that's it's kind of like going to jury trial craig and making an opening statement about what happened but then presenting no evidence it doesn't work and just because you say something's true doesn't mean it and we need to get away from that
1: and that's why our system of government is going to work there's a third branch of government a little slow especially during covid But the truth comes out in courtrooms and conspiracies, or as I wrote in my last column for The Sun, big lies get destroyed in courts of law. And I look forward to that day. And I'm hoping that Diana and Joe, God, it's exciting to have these Coloradans involved. I hope they put together an amazing package and there's no one to stand in their way. Mitch McConnell can't obstruct this time. I would call on the people who created the West Wing and all the great shows. <laughs> you can do anything because there really aren't rules of evidence, right? You want to be fair, but you just need to put on the most powerful presentation possible. And to me, some of it, the excitement would be, whoa, look who they called as a witness. Like your idea, Mike Pence, my idea of Joe Altman. I think the whole country will be watching that. and. If public opinion goes the way of conviction, then maybe you'll get the twelve, right? If the American public agree.
3: Absolutely. I the jurors are politicians and they will be responsive to what's happening in the public arena and what's going on back home and, and what their constituents think. And there's ways to make this very compelling. You know, they did it a little bit in the, the first impeachment trial, but there's so much video and audio of what happened on January 6th than before that, you know, I imagine there's some very solid work being done right now to make it presented in a way that is compelling. We can repeat the statements that Trump said and then we're being repeated by rioters just a few minutes later at the Capitol. And it's great that some of our Colorado members of Congress are working on that. And yeah, you mentioned the the rules of evidence. It's kind of like a trial lawyer's dream where you can bring in things that might not be admissible in, in the court of law, but are certainly relevant in this situation, in this, in this uh, political context. Right.
1: And you play the Rappensburger call. Isn't that a crime, what he did? You're an elected official. Can you imagine if your competitor browbeat the election official? Just find me this amount of votes. Gosh, I'm going to play that over and over. And there are other calls like that to point out that Lindsey Graham up there was part of it. Wow. This could be the most dramatic trial of our lifetimes. Don't you see it?
3: There's some unique evidence, I think, that has never been seen before. And it's it's going to be a traumatic trial for sure. And it's exciting in one regard that this will get to be aired out. I think it's important for the country that this gets aired out, whether you support Donald Trump or not. We need to look at what actually happened. But it's also sad that we're even here. You know, I, it's usually a we have peaceful transitions of power and the new administration can get started on what they're working on. And, and we move on as a country, but I think president Trump forced everybody's hand here to demand that we take a look back at what happened and try to find the appropriate resolution.
1: Right. I look forward to it. It's a little like OJ and you are too young. You don't remember when OJ was a football player, but I do. And I loved him because he played for the Buffalo bills who are old AFL, like the Broncos. And I loved him at USC, and he was everybody's dream of a guy. We heard hints about domestic violence, but then the evidence was overwhelming. And most of America had turned against O.J. Simpson, except his loyalists and people who were hardcore thought there was a racist component. Isn't this a little like that? And it was worth the effort, even though they didn't get a criminal conviction.
3: Well, certainly uh, crime occurred in the O.J. situation. You know, two people lost their lives and certainly warranted a jury trial. In this case, you know, people lost their lives, too. Five
1: people, seven if you count the suicides, right?
3: Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, directly at the hands of President Trump, of course, but I believe incited by him. And this is the process that we have in our country. And thank God we do, right? I mean, this happens in public and it happens in an open manner and we don't get justice by fiat or anything. It's a democratic process. Like I said, it's too bad we're here, but...
1: It's all right. It brings us together talking about it. We are forever linked, at least in my mind, Dylan. You'll go on to be a U.S. senator, maybe Colorado governor. (laughs) Hey, you could be president, but I'll always remember this sequence of events. November 16, 2019. I'm doing my show. It's the second half of the 10 o'clock hour. I've just had three callers to KNUS who voted for Trump, but I was convincing them that he had done something awful with impeachment. And I'd been on his case for the better part of three years. So they were getting used to me and I was convincing people. Then while I was making a point about Bill Barr being Donald Trump's new Roy Cohn, my mic gets cut and I get texts from friends saying, what happened? Were you fired? And I said, I think I was. And then Brian Moss put out a tweet and then I drive home and while I'm in my driveway, I see a tweet from a guy named Dylan Roberts. Do you remember that, Dylan? Dylan?
3: I do. I remember uh, that day. And yeah, what happened?
1: In my driveway, I replied to you. I said, thank you, Dylan Roberts. You said something about how I didn't tow anybody's party line. I said, I won't tow the Trump party line. And that I saw corruption and bullying. I forget the verbatim. I could pull it up here. But it took off to be above the fold on the Drudge Report for the better part of a week. And you probably felt it. Are all your tweets that magnificent?
3: <laughs> no, certainly not like that. I think I remember that day. You know, I I liked listening to your show, and I listened to other shows on on your radio station. Like I said, I like to hear what's going on in alternative viewpoints, and and you know, your former station covered you know the state legislature and the state government a lot, so I, it was interesting to listen. When I saw that you had gotten cut off and and canceled you know i was disappointed so i i remember tweeting that that was too bad and you know it's it's a shame that people who are journalists or radio hosts can get muzzled because they start expressing viewpoints that are running afoul of some company's political persuasion so that was a big day on Twitter. I'm sure you have Twitter trolls, but I certainly picked up a lot that day, too.
1: I know. Eventually, you had to delete your tweet, but it's memorialized in certain news articles I can pull up, like the Daily Mail was all over it. Rep Dylan Roberts, it was like 1048 on November 16th. Sad day for Colorado and the First Amendment. Toe the Trump line instead of talking about law and facts if you want to show. Sad. At 710 KUS as our president would say. You were using the sarcasm. So then I responded because you and I had met. First time we met, I was representing a defendant up in Eagle County. Then we met when you were at Craig's Lawyer's Lounge as a state rep. And I appreciated you going to bat for me. And I wrote back, thanks, Dylan. I cannot and will not toe strict Trump party line. I call things as I see them. I see corruption and blatant dishonesty by president and his cronies. I also see bullying smearing of American heroes with courage to take oath and tell truth. Their bravery inspires me. And the backstory is I had gotten worked up on November fifteenth because Marie Ivanovich had just testified. And I thought she was great and she was a victim. And my heart goes out to victims, especially women. Who are getting bullied by men? That's just my instinct, and I think it's probably yours as well.
3: Absolutely, we all care about victims' rights, and uh, especially prosecutors. That's that's why we do that job. And that was quite the time. That was the first impeachment episode that we had with President Trump, and it's interesting how how we're linked in that way. And but now here we are, and you have a successful podcast that has done some very interesting. And informative interviews that I'm sure you wouldn't have been able to do at your old station. So uh, there's a silver lining to everything, right?
1: And I got such a kick when I contacted you and you said you've been subscribing and listening. I really appreciate that, Dylan. I think you're going super far. You know what the number one comment was for a while on that Daily Mail that you had misspelled toe the line and that I had as well. But then there was a big debate and we won. Another big comment was that you and I were on the right side of history. But the third biggest comment was that I had some 1970s porn mustache. And I did not appreciate that. My mustache is much lighter in the pandemic these days. It's not so Tom Selicky anymore.
3: There you go. Well, Twitter's a weird place. It's a place to get some information. But then you have some, some strange comments like that. But I guess that's just the way it is.
1: And the beauty of the situation, I had started at the Colorado Sun, my first column, I was just a freelancer. And I saw the conservative stations didn't want to publish it. It was early November. And I said, it's beginning to feel a lot like OJ. And I could see the people were lining up on their sides, not really thinking about the facts. That was divisive at the time. And that led to me being, thank you, Larry Rickman, being columnist at large. And I've been able to put my thoughts to paper and have a good audience. I think I love the Colorado Sun and it seems to me that you do too, Dylan. You've written there and you've been quoted a lot. What do you think of the place I work, the Colorado Sun?
3: Well, I'm glad you're calling columnist there. It's a great publication and it's a great project. I'm glad that they're doing it. And I know it's a, a, some very talented reporters and they do some really great analysis of the state legislature and and Colorado government in general. And some stories they do about issues out here on the Western Slope are unmatched by any other publication. So, yeah, the Colorado Sun is a a big service to the people of Colorado. They seem to be doing very well, and and we're, we're all better off for it.
1: Right. And one of the owners, a Colorado College grad, and you take his calls, is Jesse Paul. Isn't he one of the best state political reporters?
3: He is. He's, uh, he's very insightful. He, he gets the capital very well, understands the nuance and some of the stuff going on behind the scenes. And he writes some great pieces. And he's very fair. I mean, he, he's uh, very fair and, and asks tough questions, too.
1: Well, you are the best, Dylan. Thanks for giving me so much time in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. It's always memorable when you were on. And keep doing great things, OK?
3: Thank you, Craig. Yeah, let's do it again. It's always great to talk to you and congrats on the podcast and the column and uh, keep doing what you're doing too.
1: Thank you. See you, Dylan. Bye.
3: Talk to you, Craig. Thanks.
1: law llc.com now back to the Fred silverman show craig troubadour happy spring fever day
4: yes it is indeed
1: did you see that eagle that i sent you a picture of my first eagle sighting in colorado on my bike cherry creek state park what do you think
4: where was it i did not when today
1: No, it was yesterday, so that would be Thursday, I think I took that ride, and it was when you come in the west entrance, and then you dip down toward the picnic tables, I saw a huge bird perched, bigger than any bird I've ever
4: seen. It kind of looked like a crow.
1: No, this was gigantic. I got under it, and I thought about it. it, pounced on me, I was going to be in a lot of trouble. Why? Because that eagle looked young and sturdy, and then it flew off to a hole in the ice to do a little fishing. Really? Yes.
4: No, kid. That's great. Yeah, I've seen eagles down there on a few
1: occasions. You see, I checked my messages from my good pals, but that's okay. I checked yours. You sent me an intriguing song, Black Balloon's. Why was that your choice this week, Troubadour Dave Gunders?
4: Well, Craig, in keeping with the latitude you often take, segueing my songs into whatever event of the day seems fit, I thought, okay, here's a song about a guy who's done something wrong. He's, He's lied, he's been selfish, and he's been ejected from the relationship. And I thought, hmm, I bet you Craig can do something with this.
1: What did you have in mind? Who are you thinking about? You don't have to beat around the bush. It's, it's the same guy you've been talking about for the last Donald year. J. Trump? Yes, sir. He is the guy who gets the black balloons. First of all, I love this song, but I don't think you understand the words, even though you wrote them, okay?
4: You often say that.
1: What did you do to inspire this song? Because it's about a big breakup.
4: It, it is, and, and, you know, and I, I have to, uh, I, you know
1: what did you do? What did you do? You're apologizing. You're groveling. And I hate to say this. I've never said this. You're still my good pal, even if you don't. Look at my ego pictures. You are a big crybaby in this song. Well, Craig,
4: first of all, you're assuming that it's about me. As a songwriter, I can claim that any song of mine to be a story, perhaps fiction, perhaps not. And so I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't admit to, to your, to your
1: accusation there. Don't divulge. That's okay. It's a great rocking song. I mean, for a breakup song, it's rocking. What's up it with is. that?
4: Oh, cause rockers are the best. It's certainly the most fun to play.
1: And it's the way to get the girl back. And toward the end, she's singing with you. At least that's the way I imagined it. It's like you have an orchestra. How many, Different musicians got involved in this. You know, I, I
4: don't, uh, it was not an orchestra. There's no, there's no strings or, in, or horns in the song, but I layered some different guitar parts on it. The piano has a prominent role, kind of banging away, keeping that rock and roll thing. And then, um, and you asked about the vocalist. I've mentioned her once before. Her name is Liz Ager. She's a great singer, and she was the background vocals on that song.
1: She is tremendous, but I like Sarah and Rachel. That's right,
4: Sarah and Rachel. I think as the girls get older, as my girls get older and and their voices mature, I think I'll I'll have no need for any other singers but them.
1: When did you write this Black Balloon song? And really, has anybody ever delivered you black balloons?
4: I've seen black balloons. You know, just the idea of a celebration, but a, a celebration of something dark. It's an irony. Normally, balloons are sent to celebrate, right? And in this case, black balloons are a fitting ending to a a relationship gone bad. But when I wrote it, Craig, was I'm thinking you asked me the other day on, on our walk. I said 10 years, but I think it's been about seven or eight years.
1: It starts with the thought of a roller coaster or a Ferris wheel, because you're talking about circles, which a balloon is a circle. And then you complete the circle toward the end of the song. The oldest trick in the book, the old circle metaphor, right? Almost like a wedding ring.
4: But I think you're reading more into it than I've ever thought. So I'll have to look back and consider that. Oh,
1: come on. It's got all the classic Dave Gunder song elements. First of all, a reference to the moon, right? Yes. And a paper moon. What is a paper moon? A paper moon was my
4: attempt at creating an internal mindset of this person where the world seems flat to him. He's depressed.
1: I got to say this about you. When we go walking, you quiz me on the moon. You have a name for every characteristic of every kind of moon. And it was spectacular this week, wasn't it? And I was just wondering if there was something about a paper moon that was other than fictional.
4: Well, no. I mean, I, I seem to remember some book, some some no, there was a, a movie. movie
1: with Ryan O'Neill. And it's right, good that Ryan you O'Neill. Knew, right, Ryan O'Neill and Tatum O'Neill, I think.
4: Yeah, and what was the reference there to A Paper Moon?
1: I think they missed Termama. I'm not positive, oh, but staying with okay. your style, you've got a reference to the sun and the sky, and then you kind of pay homage to some of your favorites, like the Beatles, when you yeah. have that line about going to make it better
4: gonna make it better well yeah they're coming around I think he's he's talking his way back into the relationship the only reason and that that that's even a a possibility for him is that he's truly sorry I mean it's a it's a heartfelt apology he tells her that he's he's done something wrong we don't know what it is right and and she
1: started singing with him I didn't know if that was a new girl involved I thought wow they're getting right back together I think this would be the classic start of a big musical. I really do. And I'm going to bring that up. But first, we have to talk about the copyright stuff, kind of the Joe Biden derivative stuff. I don't know how to break it to you, but that phrase, make it better, I think you might have gotten that from Hey Jude and the Beatles. Right.
4: Right. Well, I, I don't know if I got it, but you're right. That's, that's what they... But they don't have certainly... a
1: monopoly on that combo no, they don't of three monopoly, words, do they? they don't have make
4: it better. And I say gonna make it better. I know. And, and they just say, take a sad song. They say, take a sad song
1: and make it better. Right. I remember. Right. It was right, pretty but... popular, that song. Almost as popular as Black Balloons, but I think Black Balloons should be popular because... It builds to a crescendo, and I, I like your crybaby act.
4: I do. Well, okay. I, I don't know if I, if I go with the crybaby end, but it, it, it's, it wails at the end for sure.
1: I think it's beautiful. And can't you see it as the start of a musical with you and your female star dancing around the stage?
4: Right. And then hopefully people would be interested to, enough to sit and say, what what's going on? And then the story would flash back from there. Is that what you're suggesting?
1: Right. What did this guy do that right. he was so selfish? And it's good yeah. you named it Black Balloons, because I think that was then this is now was the name of a popular novel that became a movie. Did you know that?
4: No, that's kind of a familiar phrase, though, isn't it?
1: It is, sort of like Make It Better. I think my audience will have a better day if they listen to Black Balloons by our troubadour Dave Gunders. I hope so.
4: I hope so, Craig. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Bye. Talk
4: to you soon.
2: your words through my tears, and I wish I could take back what I've done, I lost my only one, now I'm watching that paper moon, drifting through the sky. This is now. This is now.
1: practice of law, Michael Bailey, decisions are often left to a personal representative. God forbid a person gets killed. That's an important decision you can make ahead of time. Who is going to be your personal representative? What is your advice in that regard?
5: So you want to pick somebody as a personal representative who has several qualities. Number one, you want them to kind of have a good sense of financial stuff and and matters like that so they can they can deal with that. You know, I have a friend who's really, really good and really, really smart and is scared to death to fill out a tax form because they don't quite just the finances don't make sense to them. So you don't want to pick that type of person. You want to pick somebody who can understand finances. You want to pick somebody who's trustworthy, who will carry out your decisions and if you can do it, you want to pick somebody who's not afraid of people not liking them or getting their feelings hurt.
0: Now, back to The Craig Silverman Show.
2: Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge.
1: This is fun, welcome back. Sit a heart the Rathad to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Sit a heart that, how the heck are you?
5: I'm doing well, Craig, thank you for having me.
1: Well, you are very welcome. You were on my show back in the day. Your partner, Kusair Mohammed Bai, he's a bit of a record holder, second only to Brockler. What about you? Of what's going on in your world at Rathad and Mohammed Bai?
5: We are continuing to, like everyone else, manage our firm through the COVID pandemic. And we're hopeful that this summer sometime we can get back to in-the-office uh, work. That said, we're doing everything remotely. We invested very heavily over the years in technology, and we are very fortunate that we can do a lot of our work remote. Our uh, thoughts and prayers go out to those who have to be out there on the front lines every day, and those grocery store workers and those restaurant people who either are having to work in COVID conditions or don't have a job to work at.
1: Fortunately, as lawyers, it's not that rough, but in truth, when human commerce is down, that means less can go wrong in human interactions, less to fight about it in courts of law, but stuff is still happening. And I know you've just picked up some new police shooting cases. Your firm really has established a tremendous reputation, and it goes on even in pandemic times, right?
5: We appreciate N words. We deal in tragedy, unfortunately. And whether it's someone who lost their job or lost their lives or was injured, it often, we're dealing with those horrible situations. And yes, we've been very fortunate in that we've been able to ride out the pandemic and continue to work with obviously some significant delays. But yes, we've continued to still witness some horrific acts by both employers, educators, private individuals, and uh, municipalities and police.
1: As a prosecutor, private attorney, that's what we do. It's just like a doctor. They treat people who get hurt.
5: I would love if I never did another employment discrimination or police brutality or sexual assault in a school or sporting arena. And I I wish they were never there and they, they go away and I could practice a different area of the law. We're lucky we get to help these families in this type of work. But I truly hope someday, maybe in my kids' lifetimes or in my grandchildren's lifetime, that there is much less of this type of work out there.
1: I hope my kid becomes a lawyer and he gets to do a lot of the interesting stuff that you and I have done. It was an interesting case that first introduced me to you. I had never met anybody named Sid Hartha before. You are a unique character. How many other Sid Harthas do you know in Denver?
5: I think I'm the only one in Denver. It's not the most uncommon name where my family is originally from, but definitely a less-than-common name in Colorado.
1: And where were your parents from?
5: My parents were both from India, and they moved to England and then the United States in the 1970s.
1: So there's a famous character named Siddhartha in Indian culture, correct?
5: Correct. He was a Hindu prince who became the first incarnation of the Buddha, there's a famous book by Herman Hess entitled uh, Siddhartha. A lot of people read it in high school and routinely when I introduce myself to people or I'm introduced to others, a lot of people will tell me that was their favorite book.
1: And did you read it? I have read it. How many times?
5: I probably read it three or four times. It's a short book. You know, it can be interpreted and read in many different ways.
1: Do you recommend it?
5: Of course. it's It's one of those books that's makes you more enlightened, I think is a good word. The word Siddhartha means enlightened. It's a very interesting story about both, you know, Indian culture and the founding or the start of the Buddhist religion.
1: That is cool. So you're first generation American. I know a little about you. You also served in the military, correct?
5: That's correct. I was the first one in my family born in the States. And I was commissioned in the United States Marine Corps uh, in 1999 uh, when I graduated from college.
1: Did you go to college anticipating being in the military? Was that part of the deal?
5: The Marine Corps helped pay for college through a multitude of different programs. So the Marine Corps helped me pay for college, and then uh, the Marine Corps helped through the Montgomery GI Bill helped pay for law school.
1: So were you in during 9-11?
5: I was. I was on active duty, stationed in mainland Japan.
1: That had to be memorable.
5: It was a very interesting time. I remember it very clearly. I remember turning on AFN. That was the only English station I got, Also, Armed Forces Network, and watching the second tower fall uh, live. It was an interesting time to serve. It was a unique perspective, I guess.
1: So move this story forward, the Sid Harthur story, not the one by Herman Hess that I am going to get. I'm going to read because you said the magic words that it's short. I like that. So what happens after 9-11? You're a Marine. What happens next in this Sid Harther with Todd story?
5: You know, I think my story is similar to many others who are serving and, and also different and unique you know, all Marines went on a heightened alert at that point. I remember trying to get on base that next morning and it taking me hours to get on base. I was fortunate and I had a motorcycle and I was able to kind of drive around some of the traffic to get in, but it was a very interesting and unique time to serve. That said, I think all the times different people who go into military service are unique uh, times to serve, whether it's During a combat time or not during a combat time, it is both a privilege and a honor to to get to serve in your country. And uh, I had a very fortunate experience. And, you know, I will always carry those memories with me and the memories of the people I served with uh, for the rest of my life.
1: So how did you go from being a Marine? I know you're still a Marine, once Marine, always Marine. How did you become a lawyer?
5: So after I finished my tour of active duty, I came to University of Colorado for law school. At University of Colorado, you know, I wasn't certain what I wanted to do. And I eventually found something I loved. I became a public defender in the Colorado Public Defender's Office. I did that for several years. And then from there, went off to the civil rights arena. How did I pick law? You know, my parents will tell you that I always love to argue, <laughs> so I will tell you that it was something I was always interested in and learning about. I didn't know many lawyers growing up, and I think that's what made it hard for me to figure out what area of the law I wanted to do. I didn't know a lot about the law when I went to law school. The first lawyers I ever met were in the Marine Corps, my fellow officers, and so uh, jag officers and so it was a uh, My path to where I am today was, I think, a little unique in that I didn't have the same upbringing with a lot of lawyers surrounding me.
1: You mean like a guy like me, with my dad a lawyer, his dad a lawyer, my brother a lawyer, my sister-in-law? It is different.
5: It is different. I think there are definitely opportunities that people don't recognize they get. My children will have opportunities that I didn't have. English being my first language, through me being able to understand American culture because I was born here, by their exposure to professionals both in the legal field, but in business and all these different areas, their exposure to people like you, my children will have different opportunities than the ones I had. So I think people take that for granted. The simple things like, well, I've met lawyers before. I kind of have an idea besides or what television tells me what the law is because I've been around them. And I think that's something that people take for granted. And it's normal to take it for granted because why would you think, you know, about those little micro advantages that people have because they're really subtle, I think is the best way to put it.
1: I think the best way to get started is at CU Law School. You meet a lot of people you realize they're going to be your colleagues, your peers. And okay, I understand now they're a lot like me. They like government, political science. They like to argue, a lot of them. It's sort of cool. But talking about pride and being a lawyer and with your background, what about Kamala Harris? First woman VP, first East Indian VP. How did that make you feel? I
5: think regardless of your political perspectives, I think we should all be excited to have our first female vice president, our first, not only female, but our first minority vice president. It's really an exciting time. And you don't have to be a Republican or Democrat or progressive or a liberal or a conservative to appreciate that, to appreciate a historic moment in American history. And that's what I take from it. I think you can disagree with someone politically and respectfully, but you do have to sort of recognize the excitement this brings for a lot of different
1: people. Well, I do. But with all due respect, and I had a Republican on last week, Samantha Cook, and I've spoken to a lot of them, probably more than you have over the last three or four years. And they don't want to hear it about Kamala. They're not giving her a chance. They're not recognizing the achievement. So maybe in a dream world, people on the other side would act that way, but they're not. It's a milestone.
5: And I think everyone should recognize and appreciate the moment in history. It's exciting. Not only that I'm South Asian and she has South Asian heritage, but it's more so...
1: I keep saying East Asian. I'm sorry about that.
5: Oh, no, no, not at all. It's exciting that uh, I'm South Asian and to have somebody who I can see myself or my family in in the immigrant experience. But it's just exciting to have a new milestone to be broken. It's shocking that it has taken this long to have a female vice president in the United States. It's shocking that our country hasn't had a female president. These are simple basic steps that our country should have had by now. And I'm, I'm glad that my kids get to see it.
1: You keep talking about your kids like you have a bunch of them. Prove it. How many do you have?
5: I have three kids.
1: How old are they?
5: I have a almost 11-year-old, a almost 9-year-old, and a 8-month-old.
1: And your wife is a world-renowned physician as well, right?
5: That's correct. She's quite remarkable
1: what a neat life you have. But the other thing about Kamala is that she dragged along one of my peeps. For the first time in the history of America, a Jewish person is involved either in the presidency or the vice presidency. Doug Emhoff, Kamala's Ashkenazi Jewish husband. How about that?
5: It's exciting. All these things are movements and steps in the right direction. And it gives me hope for uh, where we can go.
1: Right. But a lot of people don't like it. And I dare say our grandparents, may they rest in peace, probably would not have approved in marrying outside the faith, right? Or people of different skin color. I think it's great just like you, but When I grew up, and I'm a lot older than you, but I bet when your parents grew up, the concept of intermarriage was forbidden. Am I right?
5: That's correct. I look at myself as a progressive. I am looking forward. I run my law firm with my business partner and my partners as a progressive. We look forward. Any company that refuses to change and who refuses to modernize or move forward and keeps looking to the past and reminiscing that, oh, it was better then, rather than saying, well, how do I look to the future and see where things are, whether it's LGBTQ rights, whether it's interracial marriage that we, hurtled, that we have overcome. I just keep looking forward. And just because something makes me uncomfortable doesn't mean it's right or wrong, I'm just looking at, well, where, where should it be? What, what provides equal rights and equal justice to everyone? And I think if you look at things that way, and we recognize our own bigotries and the bigotries in our own families and those around us, and we work to overcome those, then we're progressive, and we're going to have a progressive country that keeps wanting to move forward and advance.
1: Okay, we're almost diving into the Trump part of this show, but before we do that, I just wanted to drift around the edges a little bit because I like what you are saying. It's the way of the world. At the same time, I don't know if your children move totally away from the South Asian culture or their roots. Wouldn't you want your heritage to go on
5: Absolutely. And we instill a value in our children of respecting all different cultures. And they understand that they have grandparents who were the first in our family to come to this country. And we have on my wife's side, parents who have been here for generation after generation. And we instilled in them pride in their Indian background and in their Indian heritage. And their Indian cultures. And I think that's important. And that's what's amazing about this country. We've gotten away from appreciating each other's differences and appreciating each other's cultures. And I think when we start to do that, that can move America into the right direction, where we're not saying, well, we don't want them or we don't want those religions or those people in our country uh, rather, we're judging people based upon their actions and we're b- judging individuals based upon the way they treat others. And and that's what I've tried to teach my children.
1: Uh-huh. Do you think there is white
5: privilege? Absolutely. I think there's privilege and I think there's white privilege as well. I think some of those ideas I, I was talking about earlier about little things like an immigrant to this country or even a minority in this country who's being raised may not have exposure to attorneys and think, hey, look at all these different opportunities you can have in the legal field. We really work to do outreach to schools and young people to encourage them and those individuals who haven't had a lot of contact with attorneys to encourage them and say, hey, look at some of the fun and amazing things you can do with a legal degree. Look how you can help minority communities. Look how you can help people who don't have a voice if you get a law degree. And I think it's eye-opening for them just to hear from an attorney and say, hey, that person looks like me or that person sounds like me. And so there is privilege when you grow up not seeing or hearing anyone who looks like you or sounds like you in those positions. And that's why the election of Kamala Harris is the first female vice president is so exciting Young girls can look up to her and say, hey, that's someone who looks like me. I can do that. Young minorities and immigrant families can look up and say, hey, my kids can do that. And that's so exciting, at least for me.
1: I look at her and I say, look at her. She was a prosecutor. She grew up like I did. Of course, she reached heights I could never obtain. But I think she's a fascinating story. It's an American story. And it's all for the better. At the same time, we've seen an uptick in white supremacy. And I think that's part of the January 6th insurrection. The Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, the Oath Keepers, the Groypers, all these lousy neo-Nazi type groups. We've seen a reemergence of that. I was thinking that our kids would be better. Maybe this is the last gasp of racism. What's going on, Siddhartha?
5: I think those groups and people with those ideologies have always been here. They have just felt empowered to speak their mind and to publicly show their hatred. And they've been empowered by the political climate and the political culture. And I will even say they've been empowered by the former president. Of the United States.
1: I think I know which one. Go ahead.
5: Yes, absolutely. President Trump to say those horrible things. And I think they've been empowered to do that. And I think also social media has effect on it. I think people are getting more and more radicalized by social algorithms on YouTube, on Facebook, on all these different sites, which when you're getting a product for free, that means you are probably what they're selling. So by keeping you on their website longer, and the way you keep someone on the website longer is by increasing the sensualization of what they're watching, increasing the drama of what they're seeing. And I think that can result in radicalization. And this is nothing new, obviously, that I'm saying. There's documentaries made about this. But I think those two things in combination have resulted in some of the unrest we've had in our country.
1: Now, the way we met, I don't think we ever met before we tangled on a case because I represented Rhonda Fields. I'd gotten to know her in the wake of the terrible murder of her son, Javad. Her prospective daughter-in-law, Vivian Wolfe, happened Idaho in Dayton, unincorporated Arapahoe County. My heart went out to her. I realized that I knew Javad's father too. I was helping them out then years later, Rhonda had overcome that. She's in the state legislature introducing some gun control type legislation when she becomes the subject of a lot of criticism and culminating in her receiving death threats, horrible things from somebody who was traced down to be Franklin Zane. And he was represented by a guy named Sid Hartha Rathod. Did I tell the story correctly?
5: Absolutely. First off, I actually spoke with Senator Fields today on a separate matter. I've, over the years since that case, have developed a very strong relationship with her and I have a ton of respect for her, just like uh, the respect I developed for you. And in that case, we represented Franklin Sane in, this was uh, quite a number of years ago, nearly 10 years ago, I think, in the criminal matter. and. I think what was unique about that was what charges he was being charged with. And in our country, agree with it or don't agree with it. Our criminal justice system provides certain protections for certain types of speech. And the the legal question in that case was the speech that Mr. Sane made legal or illegal. And in the end, the district attorneys dismissed that case. But I can also empathize and recognize the hurt and the harm and the fear that Representative at the time, and now Senator Fields, felt over that. And I think we were able to, as attorneys, work really well together in crafting and agreeing on an alternative in the civil side we agreed to a having a civil restraining order, and Frank Sane was in the military. He was injured in the first Iraq Gulf War, and he had overcome some problems but relapsed in that process, and it was a very difficult time for him, and he, through that process, got the help he needed. And I think Senator Fields was able to make sure that her family was safe and secure, which I think was important to you and I. And I think that's a great outcome in the civil side. It's a great outcome when we can, you know, resolve an issue by working together as attorneys. And it's one of the things I'll always remember. I don't have to agree with the things that Frank Sane said to represent him. I have represented people who've said horrible things and I respect their right to do it. If someone wanted to burn a religious book, okay? My business partner is Muslim. And if someone wanted to burn Qurans and the government told them they couldn't, we would be the first firm to step forward and say, you know what? If you're not doing it with a weapon and you're not hurting anyone, then you have the right to do it and we'll represent you in your right to do that. And that's what's great about this country. I'm excited that these proud boys and the other hate groups that you've talked about are showing their face and coming off the dark web. Because now we know who they are, and they're doing it in the open, and there's a consequence for those things. And whether it's in your employment or whether it's with society, but it's also showing us which of our politicians are willing to stand up for what's right and which of our politicians are willing to say no. There is a right side here. There aren't good people on both sides. There are truths and facts, and we need to recognize that. That's different than the criminal justice system. That's about morality and whether we're going to take a stand against saying, you can say horrible things. You can say, I think white people are better than minorities, or I think men are better than women. But you know what? I know what you're saying, and I know it's wrong. And I hope our politicians stand up and say, I agree it's wrong. We do a lot of employment law. If so You don't want to pay your female employees as much as your male employees.
1: No, I got it. Let's take on white supremacy for a minute. Sometimes I wonder about white privilege. Am I a beneficiary? Maybe. Is there a Christian privilege? We could talk about that all day. But I'd rather talk about The First Amendment, because I had to learn a lot representing Rhonda Fields. It's your normal area of practice, but I argued that what Frank Sane did was a true threat. And that's an exception to the First Amendment. And that leads us to the Brandenburg v. Ohio case, which talks about how far you can go in whipping up a crowd and when it becomes incitement of a riot. And it has to do with the imminent threat and who you're talking to there's a fascinating situation. And of course, I'm leading into what Donald Trump didn't said before and during January 6th, right before the Capitol was invaded on the ellipse outside the White House. You get where I'm going, Sid Hartha. What do you think? Did Trump go too far?
5: I think there's no question that he went too far. The question has to be looked at in two separate ways. If we're looking at, was his conduct criminal, then that's a very specific legal analysis. Was his conduct immoral? Was his conduct wrong? Absolutely. And I can say that without knowing more than just having heard him speak and heard exactly what he said. I think though, with politicians, their conduct shouldn't have to get to the point of being criminal, for us to be furious with what happened. At the capitol their conduct should be held up to the highest standard
1: yeah but that's a dream world especially with the last president this guy will go up to the line and usually he's got some lawyers around him who will tell him where the line is and maybe he figured since he was a mile away from the capitol he could say those things as opposed to if he said it right on the doorstep of the capitol do you know what i mean he's always pushing it to the limit And of course, impeachment's not like a criminal trial. But I'm wondering whether he should be arrested. I bet you've seen people arrested on a lot less.
5: Absolutely. And I wouldn't be able to answer that question. You need to do a deep dive into the both criminal and federal and what D.C. is going to fall under federal law. But there needs to be a deep dive analysis on that. I think he's done other acts that are uh, criminal. I think there are likely going to be. Uh, affidavits for arrest for tax fraud and for charity fraud and possibly campaign finance fraud coming out of different states.
1: How about his attempt to influence a public official down in Georgia? Hey, get me just the right number of votes. Could you please?
5: Absolutely. And I think responsible politicians and responsible district attorneys and U.S. attorneys need to look into these. No one's above the law. And they need to look into them, and then they can make the hopefully non-political decision. And I think that's what's exciting about really good district attorneys, and ideally U.S. attorneys, but particularly district attorneys. They make decisions, and they should be making decisions, and I think most of them in Colorado do make decisions, not based upon politics. They make decisions based upon the law, and that's important. And when we recognize that's how the system's supposed to work, and we hold our elected officials, which are DAs in Colorado, they're elected, and we hold them accountable, we'll have a better system.
1: All right. So trial of this century, I don't know if it's going to peter out. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. But I hope they go through with it. Diana DeGette, Joe Neguse on the prosecution team. First of all, do you think the trial should go forward? even though 45 senators already said, nah, I don't think so.
5: I I think that argument for saying that Donald Trump is now a private citizen and therefore can't be impeached is seriously flawed. You have a Republican leader who held up the bringing of the charges while he was in office, one. But two, if what those 45 senators are saying is true, then any president or, for that matter, Any elected official of high office can do unconscionable and criminal acts on the last days of office and then not be held accountable. That's not what the founders had in mind when they drafted the Constitution, and it doesn't make any logical sense either. So we need to, again, people need to take politics out. I get it's a political situation, but you need to take politics out and you need to look at it for what it is and look at the facts of it, regardless of whether you were for or against Donald Trump.
1: But it is a political event. Politicians are deciding. And have you ever seen a situation where everybody is conflicted? They were all victims. They were all witnesses. But everybody agrees it has to be heard by the Senate. And they don't have to follow the rules we would in a trial in Colorado or in federal court. They going to make up the rules, although I think they're going to be guided by a sense of what's fair, including doing the Brandenburg analysis of did Trump go over the line and incite with his words something that became criminal, like shouting fire in a crowded theater?
5: You know, what's really interesting is the last four years have shown us the fragility of our democracy. They have shown us that our democracy is something that we have to cherish and we have to tend to and care for. And if we don't, it can be destroyed. And it's not that hard. I think 6 years ago if you were to ask someone can the democracy be destroyed, the average American person would have said no, that's not it's impossible. And if you ask people today, I think people are recognizing that we have to take care of our Republic, And how do we do that? We do it by becoming educated on our government. We do it by holding our elected officials accountable. And we do it by educating our children to understand the Constitution and understand the oath I took as a Marine officer to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States.
1: You took the same oath as a Colorado lawyer, right, to uphold the Constitution.
5: You know, it's different. It's almost the same oath as the president of the United States that a Marine officer takes. It's the oath to support and defend the constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. It's almost identical to the presidential oath. I I think that tells you something about the military. And I think even lawyers, we have a similar type of oath. It's a little different, but I think we should all go back to those oaths and take a read of them and maybe say them again to ourselves.
1: All right. We both agreed that the trial needs to occur. Now, what you just said makes all the sense in the world to me. We need to educate the public. The first opportunity is this trial of the century. Put it on in prime time and make it great. Make it great by, like when I got to cross-examine Franklin Zane, I think that was pretty great. It was exciting. And you know what I mean? You get to cross-examine somebody who's adversarial with this in mind, and knowing that you have to grab the American public. It's the only way to get the politicians to go along, show how corrupt Trump was, how he set this up with his tweets, his Roger Stone, his Mike Flynn, his behind the scenes connections with the Proud Boys, etc. I hope they're building a big case. Am I to something, Sid Hartha? How would you do it?
5: You know, I think this is different than a civil or criminal case. I think this is something that we need to do with recognizing that it's a horrible situation, that no one should take joy in being in it or being involved in it. And I think all the senators need to put aside their politics, put aside their party and say, I'm going to listen to the facts. And I'm going to decide based on the facts. I, I actually would suggest that to some degree, I think the American people need to hear the evidence as well. But I would almost suggest that this is a somber occasion and a sad occasion.
1: Who would you put on as your first witness?
5: I don't know. And I don't know the answer to whether, you know, they can force the former president of the United States, now that they're saying he is just a citizen, to come and testify and I don't know all the different intricacies and backgrounds. And that's what's one thing that's really unique in a case. And Craig, you've tried tons of cases, and I've tried, you know, 50 some trials as well. And you've tried way more than that as a district attorney. So we have so much more information than the public or the juror or even the judge has about the case. And The two sides, the lawyers, have so much information that they're in the best position to make those type of decisions and those type of trials calls. And that's what's exciting to me about being a lawyer. It's picking out those little pieces of information and saying, this is important and this is the theme and theory of my case. Uh, When I teach at the National Institute of Trial Advocacy or I teach uh, trial at at University of Colorado School of Law, I hope to get that excitement that you have and I have about trials out to these young students because it's so exciting to get to be in the driver's seat. I always look at trial like I'm putting on a play and the jurors are the audience and I am one of the characters, I'm the director, I'm the orchestra or the orchestra conductor all at once and that's really exciting
1: and it is, but you need a dance partner. I would say, I call Senator Tommy Tuberville. Get down here, you know, and just that would get everybody's attention. Were you at the DC Trump Hotel on January five? Who did you meet with there? I'm telling you, you got to make it exciting because you're the guy who's talking about educating the public. Educate them as to how Donald Trump was behind this, unless you don't have the evidence. I'm confident it's there. I'm looking forward to this trial.
5: I think it'll be interesting. You know, I think it'll be interesting to watch. And I think everyone should keep a open mind. I think everyone can accept that what he did was is morally wrong. And I think then we need to make a different decision as to is it criminal.
1: And is that what you need personally to say disqualification from running again? Because that's pretty harsh. No, because I think
5: that we should hold our elected officials to a higher standard than our average citizen or the public. Our elected officials should be doing things to abide by their oath, to support and defend the Constitution, and should be doing things to recognize that there are facts, that there is a truth, that you can't just go running around doing things for your own advantage that are against the advantage of the American population. And so it doesn't really matter to me what the outcome of this hearing is. I think we know what the outcome is going to be of the Senate trial. But I think where I'm talking about education of the public and stuff like that, and education about our political system and the fragility of our republic, it goes to ensuring that we hold people accountable to truths and that we don't just accept what someone says and that we individually research it and look into it. And it takes a lot of
1: work. Yeah, you're a little more high-minded on this. Maybe it's because you're a Marine, but what's up with all the military participation in the insurrection? And do we have to worry about the military being corrupted and police being corrupted by Trumpism?
5: You know, I, I think there is there are some fears with that. You know, one thing I've always wondered about is in the Capitol, in congressional and senator offices, there are Confederate flags framed and hung on the wall. And people say, well, it's to honor the past or the struggle of the American people. Well, to a lot of people, those symbols are symbols of hate and symbols of slavery and white power. And what would the public or Congress or a senator say if someone then hung a ISIS flag in their congressional office? and said, well, this is about uh, recognizing the plight of uh, people in the Middle East. No, we would have congressional hearings, and we would have criminal procedures and FBI investigations about that flag. But we don't do the same thing for the Confederate flag. And police officers, too. You have police officers who post horrific things Mm -hmm. on their websites about white power and things like that, and those should be disqualifications from the job. Because again, you're in public office and you need to be held to a higher standard. If you choose to be serving the public or in public office, which is also serving the public, then you need to be held to a higher standard.
1: And this crap, this fake news always put out by the Trump side that, oh, it could have been Antifa. Yeah, it was Antifa. Well, What about those Confederate flags that were flying around there, that one guy taking it to and fro in the Capitol? If you were a member of Antifa, wouldn't you have knocked that guy on his ass? And speaking of Trump supporters, so many hundreds of Trump supporters, yet nobody did anything to those guys with the Confederate flags. They had their free run of the place. Same with that guy with the Camp Auschwitz shirt. You know what I mean?
5: no it, it was a horrible day uh, it was a uh it is a horrible day that historians are going to write about and that we are currently living
1: i know it now said a hart that you represented franklin sain and i thought you did a good job i couldn't believe you got the da to dismiss it how about donald trump if he calls you and says jeez said that you, you got franklin sain out from under what about what about me? Could you defend Donald Trump? How would you do it?
5: No, I, Franklin Sain was an individual, and his rights are slightly different than Donald Trump's, first off. And second off, no, I, I wouldn't take that. I wouldn't take that case. I would uh, have a problem with that case. The Franklin Sain case I took on the basis of the legality of what he said, I said over and over what he said was horrible. But the question was, was it illegal? And so that is, in the criminal process, a difference. I will defend the right of, whether it's Proud Boys or whatever white supremacist to say horrible things as far as that they believe, you know, whites are better than minorities or men are better than women. But that doesn't mean I'll agree with them. And I'll say what they're saying is horrible, but I will say they have a right in this country under our Constitution to say it.
1: Right. I always say people have a right to a lawyer, but that doesn't mean me. I'm right for some cases, not for others. And you've taken yourself out of consideration to represent Donald Trump in the U.S. Senate.
5: He's not a citizen of this country. He was the individual who was charged with protecting the Constitution in this country. His rights are different than uh, the average Americans.
1: But, But let's say that he's disqualified, he's convicted, and then they take my advice and they arrest his ass. And then he calls you and he says, now they're trying to lock me up, Sid Hartha, please. You know, it's
5: still he was doing conduct as the president of the United States, and that's different.
1: Fascinating. Do you feel any compunction about criticizing the commander in chief? I mean, he was up until a week or so ago. Um, no,
5: I, I, I don't. I had, uh, I've had disagreements with Republicans and Democrats, and I have friends who are Republicans and I have friends who are Democrats and I have friends who are independents. But I don't have a problem disagreeing with someone's policies or practices. I think there's a way to do it that's respectful, and I think it's become hard to do that. But we still need to recognize that we need to lower the discourse. We need to recognize that there are more things that unite us than divide us, that we have even somebody who says something that you can't stand, I guarantee you if you spend some time with them, you could find things that you agreed on and a lot more things you agreed on than you disagreed. And I'm saying that you don't need to do that, but I'm saying we need to take it down a notch and try to find those commonalities amongst what in all reality are most Americans want what's best for their neighbors and for the American people and the American
1: country. I've been thinking about a case I handled toward the end of my time as a chief deputy, horrible home invasion, a young man named Terrence Mayo and his pregnant girlfriend, Rochelle Peterson, shot dead in their own home in Montbello. It was unsolved for a little while, but then it came out that it was a bunch of teenagers who did the home invasion, and they were instructed to do so, incited to do so by a woman named Cheryl Armstrong. And I convicted the two shooters who went in the house, and this woman had a hold on them, and she was persuasive Got them to commit the crime. She was the last person we prosecuted. And it was tough because she didn't go to the scene of the crime and it was just her words. And yet we convicted her of two counts of murder. And I'm thinking about that because there was another horrible event in East Denver, this in Green Valley Ranch, where a young Senegalese family and then an extended family member with another infant, five people consumed in a fire. And I know about the case because it touched all our hearts, but I also know that their attorneys were Rithad and Muhammad Bai, your partner, Kusar Mohammed Bai, and it came out this week that teenagers are the ones suspected of a first-degree burglary, and arson. I don't know what was behind it, but I know it's a sickening feeling when it happens and young people are involved. Your thoughts, Siddhartha?
5: You know, that case has been tragic. My business partner, Cousser, has been working on that case since just the days after the fire and just helping the family, along with a lot of other community leaders, but helping the family as their victim designee and under the Victims' Rights Act. And, you know, it is such a tragic, tragic event. Again, I think it's one of the powers we have as attorneys. We can help people when it is the worst time in their lives we can be there for them even if it's as in this case sometimes just as simple as being there to to help them with forms and to help them with paperwork and not charge them and just be there as a good person to do a good thing for someone in a horrible situation and that's what Kusera and the other members of our firm have been doing with this family and we do routinely it's both heartbreaking and rewarding to get to help people in these tough times. And I hope that people listen to this and say, hey, you know, that's what I can do with a law degree. I can really help people, and you can. That's what's so exciting. You we were talking earlier about, you know, young people and, and, you know, having contacts with the law or knowing about the law. You really can do some really great things with a legal
1: degree. Yeah. Godspeed to that family. I'm so sorry for their loss. And then you represent another family afflicted by tragedy, Gary Black. I think people remember he was a grandfather. A criminal came into the house, was doing terrible things to the grandchild. He rescued his grandchild. The police came. Gary Black came out to see the police and the police shot him to death. Tell us what happened. Did I get that right? What happened? What are you guys doing about it?
5: So Gary Black was a four-time Bronze Star recipient. He worked his way to the Citadel. and was a Citadel graduate and then went to the Vietnam War as an infantry lieutenant, uh, actually an intelligence officer. And he received four Bronze Stars in at the Vietnam War. And I've done a little research as a military officer, and I can't find another individual who's ever received four separate Bronze Stars for separate commendations. So it's really quite remarkable. And then from there, he went and he was a federal agent with the IRS. He was retired, enjoying his golden years, and an intruder broke into his house and he saved his grandson from a horrific, horrific crime. And he was killed. It was a, a absolute tragedy, absolute tragedy. And we were privileged to get to represent Mrs. Black uh, and help her through this horrific killing of her husband.
1: My gosh, the cases we get involved in, and I just want you to talk about something you educated me on, and you think about a lot given the cases that we handle, the effect it has on people like you and me to deal with tragedies. What do you think about it and what are you going to do about it?
5: You know, it's known as a secondary trauma. When you work with victims of crimes a lot, doctors, therapists help, but take on a little bit of their pain each and every time. It makes us good attorneys when we do it, but it adds up and it builds on the attorneys and the staff, paralegals and investigators in our office, and it takes its toll. And so we really encourage the people in our office to recognize that and to take time with their families and get the mental health time and breaks and treatment that they need to continue to be able to fight the good fight And it's something you have to be cognizant of. You have to recognize that it's happening. Hey, I'm snapping at my family. Why? I don't have as much patience as I used to. Why? And I think we need to recognize those things, all attorneys, and be really aware of them. And in our office, uh, we are because, you know, unfortunately, you know, every year we attend, you know, numerous funerals for our clients, their families, need help, and we help organize our our legal staff have become experts in planning funerals and that's you know that shouldn't be something in their job description, but it is and you know when you're sitting there with a family at a funeral just just to provide them comfort and let them know, "Hey, we can help you," and you help them with all those things, the paperwork that that's confusing when they're going through it, you kind of become a little bit a part of the family and you're there to support them in whatever they need and at whatever level they want you to be involved but it does take a toll and it's uh it's something you have to deal with
1: you are a renaissance man what was your rank in the marines
5: i left as a captain
1: captain rethot and i understand you were a sharpshooter am i right
5: i uh, i shot okay i was a much better uh with the pistol than the rifle but i uh, i was i was a good shot and- continue to shoot today
1: it's fun to talk to you you are a big part of the legal profession in colorado i can see you making policy for years i bet you're a great dad and thanks for your service to the country and you are a welcome guest anytime in craig's lawyer's lounge
5: thank you so much for having me craig you have a wonderful night have a great week bye-bye you too
1: hey will you just do this for me go to my website at craigsilvermanshow.com. Scroll down and look at that picture of my pal, Dan Levitt. He's a professional sales trainer and coach with Sandler Training. Now, Sandler has been doing this for many decades with great success. If you are in the sales business, then you need some training. Maybe you have already had it. God bless you. But if you feel like you are falling short, that you could learn some skills that could increase your income, Sandler knows what to do, and my friend Dan Levitt knows as well. Look at his face on my website and tell me if that little smile on his face does not make you want to smile back. I do, and I don't smile all the time. But Dan Levitt is fun to talk to, and he will give you a great deal if you say, Craig sent me. Call Dan Levitt. First look at his picture, smile back, 303-829-2107, 303-829-2107 for the best possible deal. Tell Dan, Craig sent me. Thank you. law llc.com gosh this was a great show don't you think said harthur with thought what a character dylan roberts he's going far. our troubadour what a great song black balloons thank you everybody see you next week
0: thank you for listening tune in live every saturday morning nine to noon mountain time visit the craig for the podcast blog and more be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available this has been the craig silverman show